Hey everyone, this episode was recorded before the multitude of tragedies that struck this past week. And while we'll surely be discussing these topics in the future, Shahir and I couldn't get together in time to get our thoughts into this episode. So until then, just please take care of each other, call out oppression and injustice wherever you see it, Black Lives Matter, and Wakanda forever. Thanks for listening, on to the show. Mr. Pig, my name is Matthew Kroll. And I have a podcast. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the extremely banned film never meant for human eyes, The Hunt. Also the racist film. Is that right? It is the a racist, racist film. It is. Awful. It should never be seen. And you know what? Fuck it. We're doing it. But we're not doing it alone, Shahir. We are not doing it alone. I'm very pleased that uh, returning guest Zishan Aline decided to rejoin us. Uh, after, and, and, and of all things, and th- this always makes me happy, by the way, is when a guest comes back and says, I want to do the podcast again. Because usually, I'll be honest with you, we often feel we've scared everyone off for life. So welcome back to the podcast, uh, a, a wonderful freelance political reporter, contributing reporter to Vice. And uh, by the way, I just highly recommend everyone go to, to your website. Is it ZishanAline.com? that we can go to to sign up for your uh, for your amazing newsletter? Uh, the newsletter is at zishanalim.substack.com. But Ooh, okay. if you go to my website, you can find it. You can Google Zishan Alim. It's easy to find. I had to get that plug in right away because I'm really enjoying your newsletter. But how are you? Uh, I'm great. First of all, yes, thank you for allowing me to successfully strong arm my way back into your podcast. <laughs> um, it was so fun last time that I like had to find a way. So I started harassing your account online and <laughs> tried to create social pressure, threatened to potentially cancel you. And then now I'm here. So I think that the moral of the story is... Uh, use brute force and the fear of humiliation to get what you want. I completely also, agree. Also, we're, we're easy is, is the other thing to, that's re- the to, secret. to take that's away. That's the secret. Like, that's what, that's, that's it li- literally, uh, <laughs> only movie pod on Twitter, message us. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> no. Um, it's so good to have you back. Uh, I'm glad, like Shahir said, I'm glad that you, uh, A, wanted to come back, but that also, uh, I don't know, was it was it you who asked to do this movie? Did you hear want to do this movie, or did I say it in a fever dream that I wanted to do this movie? Where uh, did this come from, Jahir? Or is it Zishan? You should explain that, Zishan. Um, I actually, I think that I may, I think I initially suggested it, and uh, and then Shahir was like, "Yeah, let's definitely, let's definitely, you know, do that." And then I mean, the more. I think we looked into it. The more we were like, is this a good idea? I don't know. <laughs> and then, but and, uh, and we still don't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I don't want to give anything away for later in the conversation, but I think that there's opportunity for lots of mixed feelings, but definitely it's really ripe for discussion and it's very zeitgeisty. So I can't imagine a better kind of cultural text to kind of probe at. And the other reason that I think it was timely was that you've recently appeared on uh, a, a little podcast that, uh, you know, a few people might have heard of called The Daily, the New York mm-hmm. Times podcast, um, because of something that happened to you, which I felt when you suggested The Hunt was kind of interrelated 
to this particular story, which you can go to the daily uh, uh, podcast to listen to. But I, I wonder, oh, by the way, before we do that, is Michael Barbara, did you get to talk to Michael Barbara during that recording at all? So I actually ended up speaking with the guest reporter, Jonah Bromwich, right. for the time. So I didn't speak to him directly for that one, no. I just had the secret fantasy of Michael Barbara telling me a dirty joke. I don't know why. It's just the thing I want <laughs> in okay. my life. That's the sort of thing you're not supposed to say publicly, I feel like. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm going to put print that on a T-shirt in case I see him out in the street somewhere. You said the quiet part loud. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind, um, I think the prevailing topic that's going to come into play when we discuss the hunt is cancel culture in some way, which is which is a topic that you were just on the daily for. Do you want to mind? Do you mind telling us uh, how that became a topic in your life? Uh, yeah, so it's a pretty crazy story, and. Honestly, we could spend hours talking about it, which is basically what I did with the Times, <laughs> even though the interview was condensed to something relatively short. I, you know, literally spoke to them about it for hours uh, initially in the in the pre-recording stage. But the short version of it involves uh, basically this bizarre series of online interactions I got into uh, that kind of started in response to uh, you may remember this controversy back in July when a sort of uh, a man wearing uh, a T-shirt that says, like, you know, ruling the world since 1776 or something like that, uh, sort of was yelling at someone else in a Costco's in Florida because someone told him to wear a mask and he didn't want to. Mm -hmm. The video went viral and, you know, immediately it was sort of like the hot topic of the day and, and kind of supposed to be the emblem of, like, what's wrong with Trump's America? And so... Uh, the my sort of involvement in this was that uh, I sort of saw some of this, the reaction unfolding in real time. And specifically, I spotted a group of people uh, who were basically trying to identify this guy. And, and one partic particular person was kind of rounding up a group of people to try to uh, identify the guy and then successfully did so, found the website for his uh, company, and then started encouraging kind of this impromptu digital mob to sort of uh, try to get him fired. And so I wrote, you know, I won't go into detail about here, and uh, I hope anyone who's listening, you know, would would uh, actually hear the, the full sort of context for what I had to say, but I started critiquing the idea of trying to take a civilian's job uh, without any context, without really knowing what's going on, in light of... Uh, Despite the fact that what this guy did was, uh, you know, really socially unacceptable in many ways uh, and potentially dangerous, uh, in light of the fact that most Americans are employed through at-will employment, which means they don't really have rights to uh, or, 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 you know, access to due process and getting, you know, to prevent them from getting fired from a job. And in light of the way our social s uh, s uh, safety net works, I sort of critique the idea of this as being a, uh, the, the, the sort of punishment that should be doled out uh, by a group that's supposed to be progressive. And so in the process of doing this, um, you know, I, I got some traction. And uh, the weird thing that happened was when I, I stepped away from my computer, I came back, uh, you know, a little bit later after a friend texted me, and it turns out that my tweet thread had gone viral 
in in the magosphere and all of a sudden we had you know alt-right conspiracy theorists uh uh you know like jack uh i'm gonna mispronounce his name jack Pozabiak. Uh, yeah. you know, sort of tweeting it out. All of a sudden, I was getting like hundreds upon hundreds of tweets. I was all of a sudden all these super right wing people and alt right conspiracy theories and trolls were filling up my <laughs> mentions, and then all of a sudden a new mob formed to try to attack the guy who had led the initial job hunting uh, sort of vigilante crew. <laughs> so it, there was this sort of like backlash. Oh, I should mention, I, I, I again, this 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 story has so many layers. That honestly, uh, it's hard. It's easy to miss a point. But the 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 guy, the Costco's guy, was actually very quickly not only found out but fired. And I think it's yeah. very clearly in, in in you know because of the uh, uh, in due to the sort of national lobbying effort uh, led online. Um, so uh, you know, there's this other kind of backlash. This mob, all of a sudden, people start digging through that guy's tweets, and turns out he said some really kind of racist stuff. Back in the day, they dug that up. Then they started tagging his previous clients or employers. They started trying to fire him. All of a sudden, he locked down his account and then put, like, Black Lives Matter on his bio and then started putting uh, everyone likes to take things out of context in his bio, which was ironic, I thought. And, uh, you know, there's a whole uh, – there's a variety of things. The, the, the third part of it is that someone sent me an email saying that I was actually – uh, just as bad as the people who I was critiquing. And in this email that I got calling me a cancel culture canceler or something, there was a Gmail flag to me, uh, a phishing attempt. And I am convinced that there was an attempt to like infect my computer with malware and punish me for having been involved in the first place. Dang. So the whole thing wow. was ridiculous and like ended up being like, just ca- like just garnering attention online for literally days. I wrote a story about it and then that got picked up by the times and other outlets and there's a lot of different things to say about it um, that are, like, hard to do justice in a very quick story. Uh, so I do hope that if people are interested in this, uh, you know, go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing I love about this is that you became MAGA famous while we're, we're looking at you wearing a Democracy Now! t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the idea you, of you being, you know, famous in the MAGA circles for, for just a minute <laughs> is is just kind of hilarious well to me. <laughs> on on that note too like that's kind of one of my main points about and we'll get into it as we before we start discussing the film uh the the politics of the film around its release and etc it's kind of a very similar tale of the way that uh political groups some more than others can literally take almost anything figure out a portion of it to use as a cudgel and move uh, move a bar in toward their uh, toward their direction with said cudgel. Like it, it's it's quite insane. I mean, it happened to you. It happens all the time, and it definitely happened. I think with the hunt. Yeah, oh. without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. I'm very excited to see how how this all connects to the hunt. Uh, but before we do that, we have a couple of emails uh, from our last week's episode on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Zishan, have you seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Have you are you a fan? I actually have not seen it. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, okay. Because I just have another probably kick circle at my teeth again. Uh, No, last week, last week. you start that episode by saying it it wouldn't bother you no matter what anybody said about this? I don't. It doesn't. But I'm saying it was a kick circle. 
Um, oh, basically, uh, Shahir and our, our wonderful recurring guest, Jessica Tucker, uh, both dislike overall, even though she, they both had nice, some nice things to say at the film. It's one of my top fives. I admit it freely has problems, etc. Also, side note. Thank you to a lot of people on Twitter who, uh, who not like a lot, like five or six, who uh, came uh, at, to my to my aid, which I did not need. I appreciate it, but it was a fun discussion, uh, and I will I will go to bat for Scott Pilgrim anytime. Sheer, do you want to read the first one? Yeah, sure. This is uh, one of those people who came to your aid, and this is uh, listener Jacob, who said, "I must. Fi- uh, I feel I must provide some solitude for my pal uh, <laughs> Matthew Kroll, uh, who sits in the outcast corner over there." Uh, this film basically opened my eyes to the existence of editing and delighted me with belly-bursting laughter throughout and showed me characters, albeit a bit one-note and shallow, but some that's, uh, uh, but that's some of the fun, uh, that although I hadn't walked in their exact shoes, I was able to relate to and learn more about myself from. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Appreciate, that. Appreciate yeah, it. I'm, I'm not 100% with you on that, but I appreciate <laughs> You know what? The You're thing 50%. Is, is he mentioned of- editing. <laughs> a lot of people love this movie. We, we, I, think, I think Jason and I are in the minority on this one. I, I think in the in the in the film podcast circles, yes. I yeah. I think to be honest, I mean the box office, we talked about it. Like I don't think in the general population Zeeshan, you haven't seen it. So it's like <laughs> it's it's I don't think it's uh I think there's more people on your side than you think. Um right. this next email comes from Wayne, uh, who writes this is like the third time I've written into any podcast ever, but only because I felt I had to say this. First of all, thank you, Wayne. A hundred percent, everything everyone said is their truth. Okay. Uh, for Matt, I'm a hundred percent with you in that this movie works on all cylinders for me specifically, uh, a martial artist, gamer, editor. And if any of the themes and the prestige at the end works, all the more better, especially how in the end, Scott doesn't fight his literal shadow self, but more comes to terms with it and even shows that it isn't going to be an ongoing relationship because they made plans to meet up again later. However, emotionally and general taste-wise, I actually agree with Shahir and Jess. Wayne, I thought we had something. Yeah. There's my guy. <laughs> uh, that the movie resonates only above average for me. And I really think they hit the nail on the head when they said that I really think that Ramona deserves much better than Scott. And I don't care uh, that I'm not actively rooting against them getting back together. Sorry for the long email. I was just listening to the conversation. It was like, fucking guys. Ah! <laughs> I love the podcast, Matt. I follow everything. Oh, follow everything you do on extra credits and such. Thank you for keeping me company on lo- long, lonely drives. Uh, Jess and here too. Thank you, Wayne, very much for your nice email. Zeeshan, um, with all of that, do you want to see Scott Pilgrim now? <laughs> No comment. There you, go. you don't know. It's do you, fine. Are you are you aware of its existence? Do you no, do you know the No, I I'm I'm aware of its existence. I actually don't really know almost anything about it. I'll tell you this, the title is not appealing to me at all. Scott Pilgrim versus the world? I don't know why. It just feels <laughs> it's, it's fair. What the word pilgrim? <laughs> it it is not historically based. I'll tell you that much. It, now. There is there is, is very little history. There's very little Canadian history in that film, um, <laughs> unless you're talking about legitimately the ten years ago when it was filmed. Um, it, now it's it's fun. I suggest everyone see it, but I don't ex- uh, expect everyone gets uh, out of it what I did. 
Um, but thank you, everybody, uh, for talking about it and uh, letting me talk about one of my favorite films for its 10-year anniversary. And please write us in at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter to, to complain any more about uh, our hot takes on this film. <laughs> um, speaking of original titles for movies, uh, the original title for The Hunt, directed by Craig Zabel, was Red State versus Blue State, but was quickly changed to The Hunt, uh, perhaps for simpler times. I don't know. Matt, could you tell us what The Hunt is? Is about oh I could because IMDB told me what the hunt was about uh, <clears throat> 12 strangers wake up in a clearing they don't know where they are or how they got there they don't know they've been chosen for a very specific purpose <laughs> the hunt <laughs> the hunt <laughs> all true this is a nice IMDB uh, descriptor. Uh, it also kind of does keep the politics out of it, which I find uh, a, an odd amount of restraint from this. But I think, I think, at this point in this film's lifestyle, they have sort of tried to walk back some of the messaging after going full bore. Like I think when it hit streaming, I think they changed a couple of their pull quotes and taglines and things. But yeah, um, I think this was called the uh, the most disturbing people movie that you've kn- that you haven't been able to see. Yes, or something along those. That lines. was one oh. advertising pull quote that mm-hmm. did exist. <laughs> and then I think there is <clears throat> the most talked about the to- the most talked about movie of the year that you haven't seen. That's 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 exactly right. Thank you for that. That's the that's actually the quote I was thinking of. Right. Um, and you know to 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 get it out of the way, I think we we do want to talk about the actual substance of the movie. But the way people might know this movie, um, and we've talked about this on this podcast yeah. before, but the particular history about this as it was happening. Um, so you can go back, I think, uh, look at our episodes around mid-August of 2019, because that's when all of this happened. Yep. Uh, I can't recall what we were reviewing around then. Time is a construct that I don't pay attention to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, uh, I'm just going to do a little brief rundown in terms of the the history of how this movie ended up being one of the most controversial films of the year uh, without anyone having seen it. And it involves a, 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 Twitter, fro- a Twitter user by the name of Donald J. Trump. Uh, around March 2018, the, the, uh, uh, it was announced by Universal and Blumhouse Pictures that they had, uh, based, that they had optioned a script based uh, um, by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof. Now, Nick Cuse is the son of Carlton Cuse, who uh, co-wrote Lost with Damon Lindelof. Um, and the original uh, title of this was Red State versus Blue State. Uh, a Blue State. Uh, Cuse and Lindelof uh, uh, were, at the time, working on The Leftovers, which they had directed an episode with um, Craig Zobel. Uh, fun side fact one of the great uh, meme originators on the internet Craig Zabel is one of the co-founders or co-writers of Homestar Runner so I don't know if you guys are fans Holy of Homestar Runner Holy shit yeah, Really? Yeah. Homestar Runner Yeah Homestar Runner yeah. Zeeshan are you familiar with Homestar Runner or It's okay no. I'm sorry Two for All two All I'm going to say is Google the word Trogdor Are you going to uninvite me they- from this thing? I don't know I don't <laughs> know Can you cancel me live? Thin ice. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Homestar Runner was one of my favorite discoveries on the internet in the early days. Uh, it's a really fantastic web series, I guess you would call it. Which, it's like a webimation. Uh, it's like from like the days of like Newgrounds and like when like there was sort of the flash yeah. animation boom. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's like great. it's like irreverent but sweet. But like, yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a really it, it's it's, it's it, formulative. Pro- probably a little bit. Um, of an antecedent to uh, Adult Swim. You know, like it feels oh, like wow. an Adult Swim. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, then uh, the film was film, uh, wrapped in production of, uh, the following year, but uh, a few things happened. 
that uh, led uh, that that kind of got in the way of this film's ordinary release, which was scheduled for September of 2019. The first of which, uh, and not the least of which, of course, was the tragedy at El Paso and the Dayton mass shootings, uh, which uh, prompted Universal, who were um, set to release the film in August, to already. Uh, retract some of its advertising because the advertising featured a lot of the gunplay uh, that was going to be in the movie and and perhaps some of the uh, the extreme violence mm-hmm. um, that was in the movie. So Universal decided to scale that back anyway. Around the same time, and there's actually a linear timeline of this you can follow. And and uh, uh, you know, uh, spoiler alerts for the way uh, one Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump tweets is that often you will find the source of what ails Mr. Trump uh, on a Fox News broadcast the night before or something along those lines. Uh, But Laura Ingrams uh, and her co-host had decided to um, run a piece about the hunt, uh, which someone had uncovered, uh, I think, an early draft of the script or a draft of the script, which uh, which stated the first line, which was, um, you know, no spoilers. Let's go hunt some deplorables. Now, that sentence obviously has uh, loaded connotations to it already because of the usage of that word uh, by Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election campaign. Can I can uh, I make a I just want to pop in real quick. I don't normally watch Laura Ingram's um show, her program. Yeah. Uh though I did watch the clips about the hunt before this. And yeah. I have a question for anyone who might watch her more than I do. <laughs> Does she always sound like when she's talking to someone else, is it always like this? Is it always at this tone when you're like, no. Is it like that though? Like consistently? Because I couldn't watch an hour of that. Like that's <laughs> Is that the case, or is this just a story that rocked her to her core? Um, I would say the the uh, indignance is prevalent. Okay, thank you. That's all I wanted to know. I, I just I hadn't watched before, and I was like, "This is what this is." I'm more of a Tucker Carlson guy. He really makes me feel warm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he it, does, doesn't he? He's got I, yeah. a. It's the, he's it's really re- got his finger on the pulse. Yeah. It's really that dead-eyed stare into camera because it's it's like. But it's not quite staring into the void because you know the void is actually staring back. It doesn't quite work. But anyway, I'm sorry, Shahir. We got off track. <laughs> now, I want to give some context to this tweet. This particular tweet is really fascinating. And and Zishan, you know, with the experience that you just had, I think this comes into play. You know, like you, you've experienced how tweets can kind of have an entire torrid back backstory that isn't prevalent in the tweet itself. Uh, but uh, Donald J. Trump had been for a little while, and I don't know if you've ever thought this about Donald J. Trump, but he has a problem with race relations, uh, to put it mildly, or uh, the definition of the term racism. And um, at the time, uh, Donald J. Trump, previous to this tweet, had tweeted um, something to uh, the members of the squad, and they are AOC, um, please correct me, it's uh, Rashid Shlaib. Talib and who is the third member of the squad? Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. And then Ayanna Presley is like honorary member. She's not as left wing as them, but she's often grouped with them. <laughs> um, but he, Donald J. Trump, had tweeted that they should go back to their own country uh, because they had been uh, because they weren't fixing the problems here or something along those lines. And Elijah Cummings had decided, uh, the late Elijah Cummings had decided to get uh, to retaliate to this and and rightly calling it out as a racist tweet. And then Donald Trump bafflingly bafflingly called Elijah Cummings racist, uh, which was was quite extraordinary, I think, to, to sort of see. And then this tweet 
came after the Laura Ingram show. And it came in the sort of the heels of all of this back and forth about who is racist. And Donald Trump, Donald J. Trump tweeted on August 9th, 2019, liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest levels and with great anger and hate exclamation point. They like to call themselves elite, but they are not elite. In fact, it is often the people that they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite. And this is where it gets interesting. The movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. They create their own violence and then try to blame others. They are the true racists and are very bad for our country. End quote. Why wasn't that the IMDb? Uh, <laughs> why wasn't that the IMDb discussion or the point? I also sound, I, I realized the way I was reading it kind of sounded like DJ Khaled for some reason. Like <laughs> they don't let they get you. Can I also uh, just say that honestly, that it represents an attempt to string together more ideas and more complexity than Donald Trump ever usually does, even in an, across an entire speech. Like, that was, he's actually he was trying angry. to, like, advance yeah. some kind of thesis. I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but it's like <laughs> he's the, the, the gears are turning. He's really trying to think here. To be fair, it's really Stephen Miller trying to come up with that thesis. I mean, I don't think that, I don't know, maybe he, there was a conversation, but I doubt that this was a real uh, think piece for uh, uh, Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, following uh, this tweet, uh, the and I guess in conjunction with the violence that had been happening, you know, the, the mass shootings that had happened, uh, Universal Pictures released uh, this press release on August the 10th, uh, the one day after Donald J. Trump tweeted what he tweeted. Uh, While Universal Pictures had already paused the marketing campaign for The Hunt, said Universal in a statement to Variety, after thoughtful consideration, the studio has decided to cancel our plans to release the film. We stand by, oh, by the way, this was in a t- pre-COVID time when movies still got released in theaters. That so is true. Just FYI, you know. We stand by our filmmakers and will continue to distribute films in partnership with bold and visionary creators like those associated with the satirical social thriller. But we understand that now is not the right time to release this film. And thus, The Hunt disappeared into the ether only to reemerge like Lazarus himself uh, on Mar- in March of this year um, and and quietly uh, on a VOD release uh, with fairly, you know, mixed reviews. Um, this is a film that in many ways is about cancel culture and has been canceled. And we're very pleased to have someone who's, who's just talked to the New York Times about cancel culture in this film. There's a lot oh, of layers. In general. There's a lot of layers lot going of layers. on here. Zishan, can you tell us what what was what was compelling to you about doing this film? Uh, so like the decision to try to even watch it, or yeah, I mean, because yeah. you you hadn't seen it, I hadn't seen it. Yeah, I think I mean you know there's there's a number of things. I mean, first of all, just the kind of the buzz surrounding it, the fact that it was canceled after uh, you know the, these two uh, shootings, which which struck me as odd because the you know violence of mass shootings and the violence in American cinema are both entirely constant and so mm-hmm. the decision to pull back a film on that basis when again there's going to be a mass shooting you know not necessarily of that scale but you know guaranteed you know within a matter of weeks or months 
uh, or depending on your definition, even even less time than that. And then there's guarantee that any you know any number of other films coming out involve gruesome shooting uh, with all kinds of troubling you know subtext and cultural undertones. So I was curious what it was about this specific film that was drawing this level of controversy and just the idea of choosing to kind of like in a kind of pretty heavy handed way regulate, um, you know, like culture uh, based on something that was, you know, horrible, but also not something novel in American life. So that was intriguing to me, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and just to put it in context as well, um, another film that I think we, which we did review on the podcast, Ready or Not, came out at the same time last yep. year, uh, as did John Wick 3 yeah. uh, around a similar time last year as well. So this conversation around shootings on the one hand um, was really fascinating. But the other component to this film is the red state, blue state, uh, you know, kind of dichotomy within it. And I, I wonder... Well, I mean, you know, what 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 were your first impressions of the movie having just watched it with the kind of context that we've just given it in mind? So I think the film is trying to sort of openly grapple with this great cultural divide we have between red America and blue America is obviously hinted at, hinted at by that original title. Um, and and, you know, it, it it takes that head on uh, in in incredibly you know literal terms i'm the the, this film has zero subtlety there is no (laughs) subtext there is just text and it's very big (laughs) and it's in capital letters and um it's kind of like you know how the sort of common i don't know mantra in, in in about like storytelling about like uh you know show don't tell when you're trying to create a good story i mean this film is very heavy I think on the telling side of things, yeah. Um, which you know, as we'll probably get into, is I think it's kind of for me its core weakness. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really explicitly trying to engage in a sort of critique of of of, of this kind of great rift, and at its core, it's sort of trafficking in stereotypes of uh, you know at least. Uh, it, in 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 the crudest kind of broadest strokes of what what uh, I don't know uh, it's a uh, snobby NPR loving uh, you know coastal elites uh, are like and 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 their animosity towards uh, you know kind of Trump country uh, you know working class you know gun loving red America uh, and then. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, there's a set of characters from Trump country that, you know, the victims of this whole thing. And they are, you know, and it works on stereotypes of them and, and their sort of mutual animosity as well. Um, and I think I was like immediately just struck by how plugged in and extremely online it seemed like the whole parlance of the film sounded like talking <laughs> to being in like a cafeteria of like <laughs> millennial journalists like i was pretty shocked by that i it's funny you bring that up i wrote the first thing i wrote down in my notes under first thoughts uh was the words buzzwords the movie uh because <laughs> this entire thing the entire script was buzzwords and like it it totally did in mind you, you kind of hit the nail on the head just like sort of a room full of 
you know, either journalists or people trying to like find that headliney thing that like sort of make make these um, these phrases uh, so prevalent into pop culture. Um, I think this film, because of the way that it is crafted, and side note, I did not expect it to be as blatantly silly as it was. <laughs> uh, it 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 borderlines on. I mean, granted, ultra violent, but slapstick. Like mm-hmm. it's right. it's quite odd. Like uh, the I don't actually think that, and I'll get into more why later. I actually don't think this is a takedown of anybody, leftist, rightist, anything. I think it is trying to wear the clothing and talk the talk and walk the walk of the thing that it thinks is currently popular because it is. Uh, and then do a trappings of a uh, violent uh, survival thriller into it. I actually don't think this film... I think this film is near void based on a lot of different things of actual bias. Like, I think this movie is... It's it's a... It came off to me as a little kid overhearing their parents having a discussion on, like, denuclearization or something, and then, like trying to play denuclearization with his friends on the playground like that's what it felt like to me and therefore i don't think the intent was one side or the other um and i'll talk more about it eventually and i and i can be swayed this is not my scott pilgrim if people come up with different (laughs) uh different ideas that uh would make me think otherwise i would love to hear them uh shahir what about you so I think this is, for me, uh, it was an interesting experience for me because I, it was a movie that I couldn't quite ever fully get get on board with, but one that there were moments in it I kind of felt there was a deeper level that that could be explored. I think I think this movie wears the badge of, sati- uh, of being satirical on its sleeve without really understanding what satire needs to do. Mm. And, and, you know, for example, you know, ultimately if we think about, you know, uh, Jonathan Swift's article on, um, you know, a modest proposal on on what we should do in the case of hunger, which is eat children or eat babies. Uh, if anyone's read that, you know, the famous satirical article is essentially satire is poking fun at the absurdity of a situation uh, and provoking a response based on an understanding of why something is absurd. Um, so in that case, the... Um, you know, in, in the case of Jonathan Swift, it was the idea that that coming to a political solution for hunger uh, that tried to uh, measure the value of human consumption was absurd, right? And in this in this particular film, the idea I think at play here is that what if liberal elites uh, really were engaging in the conspiracy theories that um, conservative um, conservative circle seems to think that they were. What if they really were? What if Pizzagate was really real? Is I think the the the, the founding principle of this movie. Yeah, they call it Mannergate. Yeah, Mannergate in this film. Um, and I think that's a really interesting idea. I think that that's actually uh, kind of a compelling notion, uh, starting point for a movie. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, though, I, I think what happens that's really interesting is this film works itself into certain corners that it can't quite get itself out of. And the first corner that they work that they work, walk themselves into is is defining who is the hero of this film. Cuz ultimately this this works on a sort of uh, a more prototypical um, hero's journey. And 
But the the idea that they have fun with at the beginning of this film is that, oh, is it, is this the hero? No, it's not. Is this the hero? No, it's not. Is this the hero? No, it's not. Um, and they do that for quite a while until they eventually get to a person that they land on being said hero. But by that time, they've also defined that these are people for whom uh, have have been previously defined as deplorables, you know, and 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 all the baggage of that. Now, the interesting thing I think with that, without getting too far into it, is that I believe, and I, and I need to put my finger on why this is the case, is that this film is clearly made with a liberal bias. Like this is a film that clearly believes in the concept of deplorables as written as as spoken by Hillary Clinton um, and believes in the concept of liberal, you know, uh, but then wants to have fun with the idea of being a liberal elite uh, itself. And I think what's what's sort of tricky about this film is that, you know, like Zishan, like you said, it's all text, not subtext, is that there is interesting subtext at the, you know, that, that could be mined in this film. But none of it eventually gets mine because I think the script just works itself, backs itself into really unusual corners that it can't quite make itself out of. And then it sort of compounds that with trying to be um, as sort of provocative as Battle Royale or something, you know, ultra violent and ultra gory um, and ultra entertaining. You know, it sort of backs into into those corners and it doesn't really have the capacity to do both things at once. So eventually it just kind of becomes you know, silly violence. And like you said, Matt, you know, like it's, it's pretty silly. Um, and in a way that is not particularly entertaining, though there were moments in this where like I perked up and was like, oh, maybe that's what this movie's trying to do. I think that's, a, maybe that's the overall thing is like, you're never quite certain what this movie is trying to do. And eventually it lands at doing not a lot. And that's a real shame because I, you know, like Carlton Cuse, uh, sorry, Damon Lindelof, um, you know, recently, turned one of the greatest comic book properties uh, on the planet on its head by really examining what it was and having something to say about it. You know, he, he wrote uh, Watchmen. Um, and, and I think this is so surface level that it's weird to think that it came from him. Like, I am sort of struggling with the idea that this came from a lot of smart people. I, I really like Craig Zabel's first film, Compliance, which is a really great examination of power structures, by the way. Um, but ultimately, this film kind of says nothing while touching on a lot. I think just to that last point, you said how you're shocked how it came from them because their work is normally so nuanced and 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 strong. Um, I think that and there's a lot of different reasons why this could have come that way about this particular topic. I think a lot of people, even very nuanced people, I find myself going into these trappings. I, I you know, I, I feel like we all do. Um, oftentimes do get swept up in the fervor of some things and we and we kind of see things as very hardline um, when when in reality the the concepts that the hunt is poking fun at are highly complex and nuanced things not that it's being highly complex and nuanced it's again it's a kid playing with a with um, a particle accelerator like they don't quite understand all of the moving pieces and the things that make it the, the, the thing that it is and Taking something like Watchmen, which is, you know, based in historical fiction, and then obviously there's fantastical elements, and then, like, sort of extrapolating from that, like, that's almost like a fun exercise of what if and yes and that you can kind of do from a writer's perspective, where this, 
you if you, you have to make a choice you either have to highly examine what is going on with this system of of you know uh you know mega folks and liberal elite um and and actually go into that with with um with an open mind sort of from both sides and and do nuance in that way or you go the other way which is what the hunt did and decided to turn the entire thing into a sort of uh uh I'll say a um a uh point of view neutered farce um <laughs> because it at the end and there's a lot of, between the three twists of the movie which we'll get into as we're probably close to spoilers now um each with each twist it's slowly it's actually just it, it is it's taking the teeth out of anything that this thing was even trying to do bluntly um i don't know um we, i will say a good thing i feel like we've been we've been poo-pooing on it quite a bit which is fine um I will say that um, I, I want to give a shout out to to the main character Crystal Betty Gilpin, I believe, mm. uh, yeah. who turns a cliche one note character into an actual human being and someone that I was so interested in. Actually, Movie Bob, who was on our Spider Man Homecoming um, episode, check out all his stuff. He said in his review of this thing that when he was watching her, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it when it was happening, he's like. This must have been what it felt like when we first saw like great action heroes do their first action hero thing. Like she has such a weight and a and a and a and a, and a, and a gravitas to her. And like he brought up, and I this always sinks home with me because another one of my favorite films is Escape from New York. And he's like, this must have been what it was like when people saw Kurt Russell for the first time playing like an ultra badass. Because a lot of people know Betty Gilpin from. Uh, Glow, which she plays a badass in that too, but in a much sort of different way. She just had a very action hero vibe. And if you stripped away all of the other stuff from this movie, it is a decent sort of violent action movie. Um, and I think she brought something to it that didn't wasn't there before. Yeah, no, I, I strongly agree with that. I think she is definitely the main highlight of the film for me as well. I wasn't familiar with her before. I haven't seen Glow and uh, and I think that's kind of the biggest thing people might know her from. But, um, you know, I, I, I and I, I can't compare it to anything else. But my sense from the way she carries herself in that role is that she definitely brings idiosyncratic ticks and movement yeah. and weight to the character that couldn't possibly have been conveyed in the script. You know, that execution <laughs> is like her creating something weird um, yeah. and, and, uh, weird in a way that was like kind of charming and, and fun to watch. And she was the only thing in the film that was not, not, not predictable, but was, was like kind of Matt, Matt was already sort of getting at this was sort of three dimensional, uh, yeah. you know, there's a possibility of an, an arc and evolution. Um, there's some sort of like, you know, moral, debate and inner life going on in this character um and if more of the writing had been structured in, in a similar way and if you'd had uh, uh again an, an an actor actress or actor who could uh deliver on an interesting way that i think the film would have been improved dramatically yeah i think you're exactly right there's yep. a there's a way that she sort of 
mumbles to herself during certain scenes when uh, when she's talking to someone whom she's just felled. Um, that that is really interesting, and I, I like that analogy of like, yeah, what it must have been like to watch um, Kurt Russell for the first time or seeing an action star in their first role. It's like you don't know quite what to make of them, but you know you like them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that I think that's great. Um, I, I really want to get into what this film says about liberalism versus conservatism. I, I kind of, I, I think it's very basic what it has to say about it, but I think those basic premises kind of underlie some of the some of the core problems I see with the movie, but also underlie like like what. A, for listeners that aren't from America right now, what <laughs> hi. is the, yeah, hi. what is the, what, what do we think? And, and Zisha, I'm going to hand this to you, this question to you, but this is a, a monstrous question. I apologize in advance, but what do you think the last four years has kind of taught us about the divisions between <laughs> liberalism and conservatism? America is a land of many contrasts. <laughs> it's, yeah, one hard contrast. No, no, yeah. Sorry, no, she here. Sorry, carry on with that. Yeah, I cut you off. No, no, no. I, I think, I think I was getting there. But you know, like, what, what, what do you think? In, in any way, the last four years has taught us about the, you know, uh, Isra Klein, someone whom you probably know, has written a book on pol- uh, political polarization recently. But what does that polarization look like for someone who doesn't live here? Like, what, what does that actually look like in America right now? Yeah, I, that is a huge question, and I'm really angry you asked asking <laughs> yeah, that question. I apologize. Um, you know, I came I came on here to get away from this stuff, and well, J- we're just back so you know, Zishan, uh, the last hard question Shahir asked me was when he called me to have uh, to answer a question for his son about who was stronger, Ant Man or the Hulk. So just so you know where the respect level lies, ways. like he gave you a big question, but that means he really does appreciate what you're thinking. <laughs> um. You know, I, you know, what, what does polarization look like is, is, you know, there's so many different ways to approach, uh, this question. And, you know, one way to start off about it is that this film, this film's attempt to grapple with it is, I think a lot of how people who consume a lot of sort of, uh, uh, Twitter and online news through the prism of like kind of center left left leaning politics tend to think about um, you know the the sort of battle between uh, you know red America and blue America. But um, I I you know I I would say that you know I I might be uh, pivoting to a slightly different question so you can draw me back towards if yeah, you yeah, want yeah, to. Sure. But no. but one Please one do. thing that, that I find interesting here is that. This film, you know, part of its political incoherence to me is the fact that it seems to conflate the idea of liberalism with elitism and then on mm-hmm. the conversely, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, right wing or conservative values with being sort of working class. And the reason so and the way the film does that actually uh, sort of draw, drives me to a conclusion that's different than and then the one I think you might have Shahir where you said this film exhibits a core maybe liberal bias. I actually think the film is fundamentally slightly right wing, and huh. um, there's a number of reasons for that. One of them involves spoilers, um, but uh, you know, 
but, but we're but, we're well into spoilers. If we'd now, like so to, the, the spoiler <laughs> gates have now been opened. If you would like, okay. uh, <laughs> let it, so it is written. Uh, so it shall be. I'm so excited. Uh, so I think that well, you know, I just I mean, just right off the bat, I mean, it's bizarre to sort of the whole notion that like Trump's America is like the real embodiment of the working class is a right-wing <laughs> trope, right? Like that, like the real America resides in like white male. Rust Bell, who right wing behavior when we know that lots of the working class exhibit, uh, you know, lives in, uh, you know, outside the Rust Belt, lives in urban areas in every city, you know, in, in every state in the country. And that the working class is also, you know, heavily, uh, you know, people of color, black and Latino and undocumented. And a lot of those. Uh, you know, a lot of large swaths of the working class, um, you know, and especially, of course, who are not white are, are, you know, liberal and left leaning and involved in organized labor, labor and organized in, you know, involved in drives for, you know, higher minimum wage and are not defined by racial resentment and stuff like that. And on the flip side of it, uh, when we're talking about elites, like, uh, of course, uh, you know, there is a lot of sort of, uh, you know, I think they somewhat accurately pan like bougie liberal culture that you might find in affluent cities. But uh, the idea that elites are, you know, sort of uniformly liberal also doesn't really track with what we know about political trends among people in the top 1% and in corporate America who tend to skew Republican for tax reasons, for (laughs) the flow of capital, uh, you know, oftentimes have uh you know different attitudes towards every everything from um you know uh more right-leaning views on on everything from uh you know deregulation to environmental codes and um so there's just this kind of bizarre dynamic it's not really what the film presents is not actually like blue america versus red america and it's not really elites versus non-elites it's just like this one trope of (laughs) liberal elites versus uh you know of of, you know kind of uh, working class ish uh trump people which again is is a standard uh i think ultimately kind of a right-wing trope because it doesn't track with the reality but it's the kind of narrative that became almost hegemonic in the wake of trump's election during which you know, the liberal press, you know, famous like the New York Times became fixated upon the idea that they didn't spend enough time time in in yeah. diners in Trump's America to really understand <laughs> the coming disaster. Yeah. And that's what we needed to do. And that's such a sort of, you know, that there was some truth to the idea that the, the, the press was caught in a bubble. But it's also a very narrow minded, myopic understanding of the way that like class and identity actually manifest in American life. Um, so it, it yeah. sounds like what yeah. you're saying as well. It sounds like what you're saying as well is that the wealth disparity that this film is kind of exhibiting, and, and none bitter than Glenn Howerton uh, walking around in a kimono, by the way. Um, you know, like the the wealth disparity between what is uh, uh, the, the idea of liberal versus working class in this is 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 exemplified by wealth disparity, right? Like it's it's people with money and people without the sort of uh, salt of the earth kind of workers that that. Uh, 
that are of the land that know how to use guns that you know know what a, that know how much a pack of cigarettes cost in Arkansas, Arkansas versus uh, versus somewhere else. Um, also knowing again, train track rumble speeds. Also knowing <laughs> uh, how to make water compasses by magnetizing a needle. Like this, yeah. this is some Boy Scout shit. Yeah, this is really. But that. But what you're suggesting is is that that perspective is a really. Do do you, would it be fair to say that that could be a stereotype of of conservatism that is is the prism by which liberals look at conservatives. Like it's the you know as you described the New York Times kind of saying we need to spend more time in diners and in coal mines to understand uh, conservative America or Trump's America. Yeah, no, I mean that that's that's fair that it is playing off of that that sort of uh, some some of that sort of stereotype that liberals have. Yeah, I think so. It's confusing, yeah. you know. This this movie is not. It is confusing. It, the stuff yeah. is confusing. It's not. Um, it's one of those things that, and and I think uh, Matt was really getting at this earlier too, where you're saying like it does feel quite a bit like someone who is throwing a bunch of things at the wall and 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 uh, juggling a variety of concepts they don't fully have a grasp of, and so I sometimes think that like if you think way too deeply about any specific aspect of it, you're probably giving it more weight than it deserves. Yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're hundred percent correct. Yeah. Matt. Sorry. I, I do want to just pop in right here only because so Shahir thinks it has uh, a, a liberal bias. Zishan thinks it has a, uh, a right wing bias. I think it literally says absolutely nothing to anyone. And I just kind of made a connection through what we're discussing. So I'm going to get into some of the twists, okay? Because yeah. I do think it's important because with every twist this movie did, it it opened another door that showed me uh, nothing. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, what's behind the door? What's behind the door? Oh, well, I guess there's one more door. Do we want to check that? Okay, open that door. Open the... Oh, okay, nothing. Um, so <laughs> the fact that at the end of this film, there's sort of two side twists. The first being that Manorgate, this whole thing to hunt uh, said, quote, deplorables, unquote, it was, uh, was not a real thing. But then to get back at the people for spreading lies on the internet, they made it a real thing. So, ha, ha, ha. And you're like, okay. I think this is trying to say something. It's kind of sloppy, but like, okay, I, I don't, it's, it's getting off the rails right now. We need to now latch on to our main character, the only human being in this entire movie, the, 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 the focal point that, that I'm supposed to suture my emotional response to in this film, Crystal. Uh, she gave the phenomenal, I think her, her, her telling of the, the tortoise and the hare story was like legitimate great. Like that was one moment where I was like, cool. Uh, so I was like, there's going to be something here. And then it's revealed that she's not even the crystal that, uh, Hillary Swank's character, the, the liberal lady was actually, was actually hunting for. They grabbed the wrong person. And then I started thinking, okay, how has crystal leaned this entire movie? Has she said uh, any specific thing other than the tortoise and the hare thing? Has she has she shown compassion or hatred truly for any of the sides? And the answer was, I don't think she did. 
I think she is the perfect audience cipher of a non-committal main character that's thrown into the movie that actually has no left or right leaning bias because she's the wrong person. And I just made the connection right now. Her literal name is Crystal. She is clear. She is not red or blue. <laughs> she's just this like mythical person that has nothing to do with anyone. And therefore it's all safe to judge. And it's fucking weird. And if you're going to make a movie like this, I want it to be left-leaning or right-leaning. Like, I, because I, then at least it says a thing, but this just feels like a Mad Libs of, of political Twitter thrown at a bloody B-movie. And I was just like, okay, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's literally saying anything to either side. I think it's trying to poke fun. It, it's, pulling wings, it's pulling wings off flies. So I would say, I mean, so I think, you know, Matt makes a compelling point. And I think also, you know, Shahir also in his, in his previous comment kind of reminded me how much this can become kind of like a funhouse mirror situation where you're mm -hmm, caught yeah. in this weird world of tropes and like what's even real. But the two points I will advance to argue that it is somewhat, in, in addition to what I said earlier, that it's still somewhat right-leaning is the fact that... Um, one, at the end of the day, the, the true villains of this film are the liberal elites, right? Like, they're the, ex, they're the yeah. ones who are exploiting. They're the ones who have organized this whole thing. Even if it was sort of conjured up out of spite, as we find out, because we learn through Hilary Slank's character that originally uh, they were, there was a text chain where they were joking about the idea of killing deplorables it wasn't true. A bunch of people get laid off or canceled because of these leaked emails and text threads, etc. And then almost out of spite, they, they they put together this thing, if I have that right, right? That's how it happens. Yep, that seems, um, like, that seems how I read it, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know, they're, they're, they ultimately are the ones doing, I think, committing the greater evil here. I mean, there are a lot of people who would say being bigoted and racist is like the worst thing a human could be as well and there's a symmetry but i don't know to me i think the idea of drugging people and then rounding them up and murdering them in cold blood is is categorically worse morally speaking and i don't think that should be controversial <laughs> to say but i guess to some people right. it would be probably uh which is kind of funny to think and kind of proves part of the movie's point maybe god this movie's so weird um <laughs> it's so weird uh so you know i mean like i do i will say we should get to it at some point in time that there are a couple good points the movie makes but uh and then but then the second point i'd make is that like i would say that while matt's right that like crystal and that's a very clever point about their protagonist name and about this not very subtle film but at the end mm -hmm. of the day like we were saying all the, a lot of the essential defining attributes of uh, Crystal, when we're not talking about overt ideology, but her actual like persona and her and her skills and her ability to thrive, are really an extension of characteristics of being someone who like is of the earth. Who it's crucial that she was a veteran. It's crucial that she served in Afghanistan. As much as people want to say like that's like a nonpartisan thing, the reality is that is ideologically loaded. Like being someone who comes from the sort of military apparatus and has that history of warfare. She is a working class southern female uh you know white southern female with that twang and she definitely come you know her whole persona comports with uh again these kind of 
uh, sort of uh, often this sort of standard trope of like real America as existing with it uh, among people who are, you know, I don't know, not part of the knowledge economy who, who like, I think she works as like a video store clerk. So she's not like someone who works in a coal mine. She works in what could be called, I don't know, retail or services, but, but she knows she mm-hmm. has a, a heavy accent. She's from Mississippi and, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's still like there's been decisions that have been made and ultimately like she is somebody who probably owns guns and is, uh, very skeptical of like the liberal establishment. So I don't think it's like a total neutral, uh, n- neutral sort of character. Um, but I mean, the final point I'd say the caveat I add to that is that to Matt's point, they do kind of make her just oddly inscrutable. Like she's sort of like working class, but at the same time, she's like, you know, somewhat well-versed in literature. She's able to detect, like she's able to name off all these countries in Eastern Europe very easily. She's, you know, remembers characters from Orwell's, uh, animal farm readily. Uh, you know, her, her, I guess her demographic characteristics situate her i think in 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 right wing or or red america i should say not right wing but red america but her actual personality traits are are somewhat inscrutable so this whole thing's kind of a crazy mess <laughs> <laughs> well and, and i think i think i think that ultimately what happens here is the film is trying to the film is positing that the that the people whom are getting uh are are being hunted ultimately have def- have characteristics which define them which get revealed slowly through the actions as being you know deplorable you know like like uh the person in the in the uh, in the convenience store reveals that he owns guns because it's his constitutional right to do so um you know like the the uh people uh don for example kind of talks about immigrants you know like coming in and taking out jobs uh you know and these are all crisis actors you know they all eventually reveal themselves to be deplorable but the film kind of like does two things with crystal one is to say that she doesn't have any of those defining characteristics she you know she doesn't do anything that is quote unquote deplorable but then secondly that she's not even the person that they're looking for yeah um and though you know and you know, in fact, she may she may have nothing to do with this, and either may be apolitical or or on the opposite spectrum. Um, and and I think what ends up my point about like mining the film's politics uh, is not to give the the film broader meaning, but but to but to investigate where where I think this film kind of categor- categorically misinterprets satire of these political issues, because I think ultimately. The problem here is that the film winds up not saying a lot, but why does it not say a lot? Because it has a lot on its mind, and it has a lot. It, it's it's playing with the ingredients of, of um, of you know what's in the ether of political America right now, but it but it ultimately hasn't really figured out how to say anything about that because I think ultimately its its understanding of political America is put through the prism of. Probably MSNBC. It is. Um, it is presented. And, and MSNBC versus Fox News. I think. I think that's the prism by which this film kind of plan, posits these characters, without really giving them a three dimensionality to each other. And and that to me is the kind of political failings of the movie. Is that it, is that it's not really going much beyond the headline of those stories 
to to give these characters any three dimensionality, and even it, even if that three dimensionality is is purely surface or 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 um, done for sort of comedic effect, I I just don't think it's there, and that's why this film doesn't ring true for all of us. And you know, ultimately, then it kind of you know the the one of the greatest sat political satires ever made is Doctor Strangelove, right? Like to Stanley Kubrick's film about how a nuclear war could, and and the reason why that film works so well is it has a real uh, misanthropic view of the world. And it has a real viewpoint that goes beyond the sort of absurdity of what these characters are doing to like saying, look, these characters define a viewpoint of the world that I actually believe in, which is that people are kind of just dumb. And, and I'm not sure this film really is daring enough on that level. Like, like the interesting thing to me would be if Crystal was deplorable or you know yeah, like if she was on one the... side of the spectrum or not it would actually have if whether or not it did it correctly it would have some meaning but it doesn't yeah, or, or because or, she's uh, not you know the the film tucker and tucker and uh and dale versus evil you know which is this idea of these two rednecks who uh accidentally uh become involved in a murder mystery uh because people think that they're rednecks and therefore they're they're responsible for all this stuff you know a la deliverance but in fact they're just two bumbling idiots who happen to be stumbling into this and everything they do gets misinterpreted. You know, mm-hmm. like that's a kind of clever political move. And this and this film just doesn't quite there. And it's, it's really interesting, I think, coming back to, to, to Donald J. Trump is, is the way in which I think he's misinterpreting the film or the way in which Laura Ingram is misinterpreting this film is also the way in which the film is misinterpreting them. It's, it's this, you know, like I think Zeeshan, you said it, it's a, it's a fun house of mirrors. Uh, hall of mirrors uh, in some way and and those and those and that mirror affliction is also warped in the in the lack of clarity i mean it also ties back zishan to your story you you led this podcast off with it's literally everyone misinterpreting a thing that then other people grab onto and then misinterpret those people's interpretations of a thing and like (laughs) it's this weird like uh uh (laughs) inception for lack of a better term of like misinterpretation uh of either trope or there's also there's also a chance that actually they didn't think too deeply about this we, it's we, not that good we've been trying to we've been trying to sort of like find the way like oh but like what are they did they just miss the mark or like are they trying to say anything or is it neutral maybe they just wanted to use bud buzzwords in a horror action film like maybe they thought this was of the time and they're like oh this will sell because that's the level of b-moviness that this overall gives me um otherwise it is literally just a kid playing dress up in the parent's closet uh that parent of course being dr strangelove um so yeah i don't know i zishan you said you wanted to uh, you had one or two things you wanted to mention that you thought uh, either worked well or that was like edging toward uh something you enjoyed i did think that there were a couple moments that i kind of chuckled at when they sort of showed, uh, you know, when there is a sort of banter amongst these evil uh, plotting liberal elites, like in the bunker on the plane and and, and stuff like that, where, um, you know, there's obviously meant to be this incongruence between how bloodthirsty and cruel they are and how much they hate, uh, you know, the the sort of Trump-loving Americans and then their obsessions with, like, the... uh, uh, etiquette and niceties of being like uh, a, a, a so-called like woke liberal and knowing the right language to use regarding like gender and race 
and I just kind of chuckled when they had it back and forth on when they were like float they actually they were doing a, a flashback and they were clicking through potential candidates for people to take to the to the eventual manor to you know uh, to hunt people and they had like one black uh, you know, candidate. And I had been thinking that I was like, none of these people are black and I wonder how they're going to deal with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and immediately yeah, when that I, person, was, I was curious about them. Yeah. If, if what the film would do, if that was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and I actually thought they kind of dealt with that in a funny way, in a way that was somewhat mm-hmm. true to our politics where me, everyone's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like that, you know, we can't be having that. Like that's inappropriate because, uh, you know, that's just like, that's obviously racist to do that. And this sort of asymmetry again between their like bigotry on the kind of along class lines, you know, and their ability to dehumanize people, yeah. uh, you know, who have certain kinds of different beliefs. Uh, and then they're, uh, and, 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 and how, you know, alert they can be to, to how wrong that is when it comes to issues of race. And then the counter where, uh, one of the guys says, well, I think it would be kind of screwed up if we don't have a person of color in our roster of people we kill. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, to me, was just, like, yeah, not only, like, line. it was a funny line, and it's also, like, true to life. Like, you'll, you'll literally see, like, the way you'll see, like, just insane corporations talk about, like, making sure that they have, like, a, you know, like, a Latino drone pilot to, to, to uh, you know, are involved in killing you know, extrajudicial murder of people in the Middle East and South Asia at the same rate as whites are. And they're like, don't worry, like everyone will get a turn where basically what happens is like the obsession with uh, like diversity optics allows one to distract from or eclipses the moral or substantive issues at play in terms of like what people are doing or like when people are obsessed with the idea of like, yeah, corporate boards being like diverse along gender lines. It's like, well, we should also ask ourselves whether or not like the economy should be structured this way or if like what we need really is like, you know, the workers at this company need more maternity leave and we need robust childcare more than we need a female CEO exploiting men and women at that company more. So <laughs> like the way they landed those lines was like to me funny from my kind of left wing perspective. And like I do think it kind of like rang true um in a certain kind of way like i do think that that stuff happens i you know i vividly i will never forget uh the time when i was taking this like uh, during undergrad at george washington university there was some class uh i was taking about sociology of 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 race and a lot of people were talking about like how like whites you know white sort of uh nationalist organizations white supremacist organizations come together and uh we had this sort of back and forth uh in in this class about like maybe how like i think this one community where some like uh this trailer park had been a breeding ground for some sort of like you know very troubling and backwards kind of you know white militant behavior maybe neo-nazi or something like that and someone just sort of saying making a joke about like like killing them off or bombing them and everyone and someone just being like, who cares about them? They're white trash anyway. And everyone just started laughing. And th- this is not an attempt to be an apologist for Nazis. I want to be very clear. My point was, <laughs> right, right. I was yeah. we were having months of conversation about about how racial domination, you know, and white supremacy had really screwed up the country and how like people are like slowly coming to grips with it in certain factions in, in, in certain parts of America. But when it came to like class matters, like 
uh, people were just like just really dehumanizing in a way that's not the equivalent of racism, but operates along similar tracks in terms of your, one's ability to uh again de- to overuse the term dehumanize something that you know mm. they're not familiar with or naturalize other kinds of oppression i think as well and like i don't think that like it's an you know being poor is i'm, I'm sorry i'm going too far into this um <laughs> <laughs> no, no no i think i think what you're getting at is this idea that liberalism has this ability to feed to to uh, eat its own tail you know, like eventually it goes around in circles and, and, and has this belief structure that everything or everything should be equal, including the awful, including the awful parts. And I, and I think, you know, like there are moments when this film kind of touches upon that in sort of funny ways. I, I, I think maybe what we're all kind of getting at here is that we wish that the 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 finale of this film, which is pretty deeply unsatisfying um well it was for me anyway yeah, yeah I'll go with uh, that. um you know like we wish that 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 had the bite of some of the sort of minor insights that we saw i think i think you know like like we've all been saying there are touch points at this film where we really think okay we're where i really think okay this is a really interesting idea i think the idea that that you know manigate is not real but it's willed into existence because of the repercussions of being canceled because of this sort of um series of jokes uh, you know, these series of, of texts become unraveled. That's kind of an interesting idea. I ah. think that's kind of a, a unique idea, but it's not one that's dealt with in, with any sort of verbal glee. Although I will say they must've been pretty happy when the ca- the actress that they cast a, a, in that role was her actual first name is Hillary. I, th- I think that must've been a, a real get for them when they, when, when, when that happened. Um, I, I just got to say, I think that's, I think this movie has, I guess it's sort of a little bit getting into a bit of sort of my final thoughts, but like, I think on that line, I think this movie does have a lot of points or, or like the structure of it and, and the idea behind it has the possibility to be interesting. Uh, it doesn't do that, but I, 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 I kind of disagree with you, Sheer. I think that, that, that choice is the dumbest choice this movie could make. Like it's, it's, it's not that the idea it's, it's so out there as a, as a trying to make like all of this, like everyone's fault and no one's fault, which by the way, in real life, it kind of is uh, in different sort of ways, depending on what we're saying. But the way this movie structures everything in, in a very, uh, uh, hard line you're this person or you're this person because those are the only people other than crystal who is no person uh is sort of put together (laughs) um the 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 it's just like to do that with that i'm just sort of like you are trying so hard to bend over backwards to not have an angle i was just like oh and and just it's just it's a tricky corner that they've written themselves into that they don't yeah. really have a good exit for. Yeah. Yep. And I'll just say this. I think that my, um, the way that this movie was handled in the press and with Trump's tweets and like all this stuff is, um, not surprising. Uh, it's, I, I don't think this thing is, like I said, inherently leftist or rightist. I think it is, it, it was put out or when it was made, both sides and this time normally like in any piece of media the sides quote unquote if we're going to look at them at these as these monoliths at least uh like the twitter side of it or whatever will look at things and say is this a tool or a weapon i can use for my side and at surface value you a hundred percent can and in this case the right decided to wield it because they're good at doing that and they did it 
and uh, it just became another talking point rather than a mediocre action film with a really good starring uh, cast. Um, what a cast of one. <laughs> um, and the last thing I will say, I did appreciate the subversion of the people dying, like the sort of like actors I'd seen before in other things that very well could have been the main character dying right. in the beginning over and over and over again. I did appreciate <laughs> that because that threw me off and that, that maybe even got my hopes up a little too much. And yeah. then it did not, I don't think it ever did a stronger subversion than that. That's my final thought of this thing. I, I think you've echoed pretty much everything I, I kind of feel about it, which is that it's a shame that it is it is um, so um, uh, so safe in many ways and so un, um, unable to really take a bite on these issues. But I really do think, and I, and I thank you for bringing, you know, uh, letting us have this conversation, Zishan, which is that I think what's happened to this film and the con- has revealed more about about the political divide. Now, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think that, you know, like, I don't think the movie was intentionally going out to provoke in a way that would get itself canceled to cause this sort of rift about it or cause this sort of controversy about it. But it's interesting in the way, in the topics that the film is actually dealing with happen to this film outside of its world and reveal a kind of uh, ambient truth that we're all kind of negotiating in 2020, you know, like about polarization, about political divides, about the the the, the division between the left and the right and, and how far that is stretched over time. Um, not intentional, uh, but interesting that it happened that way. And, and you know, films certainly um, uh, over time kind of find their their places in the world, regardless of of quality. Um, because of issues like this, and I and I think this is a really fascinating. You know, there are, there are a great number of films that have uh, become infamous because of the 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 political reaction to them, or the the, the, the sort of uh, public reaction to them, which is provoked more than the actual film itself. You know, you don't have to look much further than Joker, for example, to kind of see that play out in real life. Um, so I, I think there's sort of a little a really interesting world around this film the one that the film itself doesn't quite touch on mm-hmm. but but you know uh yeah we we certainly live in a society oh jesus <laughs> uh take us home please what what final thoughts of this film so i mean you know one thing i was thinking about is as through 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 your guys final comments was this this film is really actually it, it, an incredibly awkward attempt to merge two different genres that actually just don't gel that well together. In my opinion, like for in the abstract, maybe I could imagine two writers talking to each other in a bar being like, well, let's take this classic story. Of, what's the original? This is just based off of a short story called like the dangerous the dangerous game the most dangerous yeah. game uh and and being yeah. like well, well let's take that but then add like a political satire to it and have one side be red and one side be blue and like you know just poke fun at each other and like maybe from a distance or while drunk it sounds clever but the actual <laughs> execution of it is incredibly awkward <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of this is going to sound like a weird analogy but i noticed that like a f- for a few years in a row I used to wear Halloween costumes that had signs on them and they would and have like a lot of text and it would be some sort of like attempt at political satire. And then people would have to come over to understand my costume by like reading like a paragraph of text on my chest. And it was very clear that I was horrible at making costumes because I had to explain so much to people. 
Uh, I'm genuinely. Those are the best costumes. Well, those yeah, are the worst costumes, but I appreciate the analogy. They're the worst costumes. Yeah, they're atrocious. And so, like, this film involves the fact that there's so much, like, explicit expounding of ideology is, like, the exact, like, way to understand its, like, weaknesses. Like, the fact that, like, this show, this film does not make sense if you did. Sh- only show not telling they like the fact they have to do this telling to try to put together a story and even then it's there's that tension between this sort of again this classic sort of like story of the hunt uh which is like more of a dystopian structure and then the sort of discussion of like these two sets of actors uh you know of, of red and blue america who uh and and, and them having a satirical uh kind of um you know sort of uh, you know, complete uh, mutual misunderstanding and hatred kind of dynamic between each other. They actually don't work out. Uh, they don't go well together. So I just feel like yeah. they're just trying to mash too many things up. And I've, I've like, I can't even remember the last time I saw a movie that had to try so hard to sort of explain um, like what it was trying to do so much. And like, it should have just chosen one way or the other, like make a proper satire and don't like, shoehorn it into this this thing or just go with some kind of like gory hunger games kind of story about elites and tell it in a new way um but this film couldn't really like deliver on the level of ambition that i feel like it had it's a, it's a shame though you know like it would have been it would have been fun to have like the movie to have the movie that donald trump singled out be really biting yeah you know like to 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 be fair the other film that he singled out but but on the most uh tenuous level was parasite and he and he he's he singled it out as like why are they giving best foreign film you know best feature uh best oscars to to a film from south korea what's that all about and it's like it would have been really interesting if if he if he somehow equated parasite or if he if he dived into parasite completely missing the subtlety and nuance of the conversation that parasites have has about capitalism for example uh it's a real shame that he he took a pot shot at an easy target and won (laughs) basically i mean i would say you know one question i'm left with is just in general a general question i have is like how it is so unbelievably difficult to envision satire in the trump era because you know so much of what the administration does really i really think it's it it makes satire (laughs) unbelievably difficult because there's so much sort of like sort of self-parody going on and so much of the administration and the way in which it speaks is like already cartoonish and we already turn so much to art uh to try to uh you know even just sort of understand it you know it's sort of you know uh larger than life in a certain way and so I don't really know how you can... I haven't really seen super compelling or incisive satire this era, and I'd be even curious to know if you guys have seen something that you think really can pull it off. Not not about this topic, no. Not about this topic, but I, I, I do think that <laughs> Paul Verhoeven should be making the kinds of movies that he made in the late, uh, late 80s, early 90s right now. So I'm talking Starship Troopers and mm. Robocop. I think... I think I think Paul Verhoeven is kind of the person we should be looking to to like to to do well maybe that's really specific I, I think to do what the hunt was trying to do is what Paul Verhoeven did with Robocop and Starship Troopers um, to do satire well right now the only person I can think of um, that does it really well but it's it's 
it's again, it's an easy target is uh, Armando Annucci's film, The Death of Stalin. Mm -hmm. I think that is a really uh, biting and insightful examination. Was was that made during the Trump era, though? Yeah. Uh, it was made. It came before out the Trump the era. Trump era, but it was made. It came out before. during the Trump oh, era. But, true. But Armando Annucci himself, yeah, he he came out and said he wouldn't be able to write the things that are, you know, to, to Zishan's point, Armando Annucci said we wouldn't be able to write the things that are happening on stage, you know, for Veep right now because no one would believe yeah. it was happening. No one would believe us in the writers' room. So I think, you know, to your point, Zishan, it is. It's very troubling because the kind of satire that we're that well, the kind of horror that we're living through is not uh, is not a lot of fun for one, and and not uh, we're so close into it that the absurdity of it is difficult to imagine on a satirical level. Um, like I don't even find Comedy Central's sort of like The Daily Show or uh, there was that Trump comedy cartoon. Comedy, My cartoon president. Uh, yeah, my cartoon. I, I don't even find that particularly engaging or fun as far as this goes um but i think what'll to me what'll happen is 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 that you know depending on the way the world looks after november um the artists that are able to kind of look at this a little bit more uh in retrospect will find a kind of unique angle but you know of course if it gets worse then then i don't know if we'll see that now but but I'm still holding out. Paul Verhoeven. If you have a better idea of a film that's come out recently, I think that was a great question, Zishan, uh, that, uh, that, that, that skewers the time that we're living in kind of perfectly, uh, please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Did you just specifically ask Paul Verhoeven? Because the way you said that, it sounded like you just asked only him to do that. I mean, everyone can do I, I, it. I really only want Paul Verhoeven to okay, be Okay, I wanted to be clear. He's, I wanted to be clear. He's a regular listener. He is. I mean, he's listening. I mean, wait, Polly. We, we love Polly. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this has been the only podcast about the film The Hunt. Zeeshan, Thank you so much for not only badgering us on Twitter and threatening our uh, to cancel us, th- not only picking this movie, but d- just coming on and being an absolute uh, delight to speak with. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Where can folks find you and the, your other fantabulous things that you are doing these days? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at... Uh, so it's at Zeeshan Aleem. That's at Z-E-E-S-H-A-N-A-L-E-E-M. Uh, or Google that name uh, without the at sign, obviously. And you can find my newsletter and my website. And that's probably a good good, good place to start. Nice. Uh, Shahir, when you are not drugging me and shipping me off <laughs> to uh, have a battle royale with me and, uh, I don't know, uh, 12 of my best friends... Robocop. You, me you and Robocop, Robocop, where can folks find you? <laughs> uh, you can find me at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. One thing I will highly recommend is signing up for Zishan's uh, newsletter, which I really uh, highly recommend and thoroughly yes. enjoy. Zishan, I don't think I, I, I've said this to you before, but I think you're a fantastic writer. Sure. And uh, I'm hoping at some point you'll be writing a book or something, uh, something longer form that I can dive into. Uh Right? Oh, right. Just put you on the spot now. Well, that's very flattering, uh, but I've uh, reduced my brain to only be able to compute thoughts at max out at 280 characters, so. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) 
Matt, when you are uh, f- uh, fighting off id 209, where can people find you? I mean, you can find me uh, not only laying down the law, um, but giving you five seconds to comply over at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits over on the YouTube box. Uh, I believe this week, oh boy. This last week, uh, we started a two-parter, gentlemen. Uh, You can get the first part now, and the second part will be out next Thursday on syphilis and the history of syphilis (laughs) and how uh, we have tried to treat syphilis. uh, And the horrors that were enacted to study syphilis. Uh, There's... Oh, yes. We're yeah. Very aware of that uh, so it's it's yeah. actually a, a lot of fascinating uh, and sad stuff, but stuff that everyone should know. Also, we're wrapping up our our series on the third century crisis in Rome. Which emperor is going to die this week? Uh, and we just did actually a wonderful episode of extra credits on the bystander effect. So if you did not, um, uh, and that's the the, the, the the actual bystander effect, not like a film called the bystander effect. Uh, check that out if you are able. Next week, we will be having not an excellent adventure. Not a bogus journey, (laughs) but we, Shahir, you and I, will be facing the music with Bill and Ted 3. Oh my God! I have not revisited those films. What was the What was the thing? Be excellent yeah, to be each excellent other. Be excellent to each other. That's what we yeah. can take away from the hunt. God gave rock and roll to us, everybody. All we have to do is be excellent to each other <laughs> and do a lot of air guitar. <laughs> I I forget if I just I always feel like I'm doing Wayne's World instead of Bill and Ted. Uh, uh, it I'm could not be too either. Sure. I, uh, you're fine either <laughs> way. Anyway, uh, we'll talk to you about all of the things that are afoot at the Circle K next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.